The echo chamber effect of security is not easy and compliance is similar. If your prospects don't understand what you're getting them, the benefits to them, they're not going to care. Tell me the problem. Tell me what it will do for me. Tell me why I bloody care. That is the question that too many companies don't ask. If your audience is not the first piece in your being, why are you building stuff? Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience, listen to and talk with your buyers, and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? All right. Welcome back to another episode of Audience First. I have a very special guest on with us today. But as usual, I will not do any justice introducing this fine gentleman. Joshua, please tell us who you are, what do you do, and why the hell do you do it? Oh, okay. That last bit's going to be tough. But Josh Marpet, my handle's Quadling, so you'll find me there on Twitter. And what do I do? Oh, God, I do everything. I'm a, I've been an IT infosec and compliance for about the last 30 some odd years. It's because I'm old you know, details. I'm an ex-cop. I'm an ex-fireman, ex-blacksmith, ex-horse dentist. Not a joke. I have been at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. I have advised the largest companies in the world. I run conferences. Besides Delaware is my conference along with my wife and a few other people. We now have a ruling council. It's fun. I'm on the board of Besides DC. I was on the board of Besides Las Vegas and Hackers for Charity. I'm still one of the people in Besides Global, even though there's not really a mothership organization, I'm one of the people that, that helps. I do a lot of work on standards. I do a lot of volunteer work. I have a lot of fun. And why do I do it? Because I think that we can do better as an industry. I think that we can drive budgets and drive security and drive compliance to, be, to work together. And I really look forward to when we can make things sensible and work properly. So I hope that makes sense and doesn't sound a little too self-serving. No, not at all. And holy moly, I am intimidated because you do a lot. No, 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 no. I don't do enough. I don't do enough. That's the problem. I don't have enough time to do what I need to do. But anyway, and I have a three and a half year old daughter and I've got another one on the way. We're due in July. We just bought a house and uh, that was terrifying. The market right now is insane. Yeah, uh, time is tough. Ask me for anything but time. Congrats on the baby and congrats on the house. Those are two big milestones for sure. A healthy baby, please God. Oh, yes. Crossing fingers, holding fingers there and praying it all goes good. We've had a couple conversations before we, we hopped on this, this great recording studio here, but I want to just dig in. You've been in security for quite some time. What is it that you hate most about the industry? The insularness, the echo chamber. I... I despise the fact that we don't listen to people. Don't get me wrong. This is not universal. There's some amazing people in this industry. I, I, I look up to people like Chris Blask and uh, Alan Friedman. They're, they're, they're mentors of mine. Uh, Jack Daniel, I'm incredibly lucky to have these wonderful people in my life and to know them, to learn from them. 
and they have such wide-ranging interests that you can talk to them about stuff outside of security. But the echo chamber effect of security is not easy, and compliance is similar. It has to be this way because that's what the rules say. Yeah, but there's reality that intrudes on that. And the fact that we've tried to use scare tactics for so long, FUD is just, everybody's jaded to FUD, man. It, it, we're done with that. So it's... There's a lot I like and love and enjoy about this industry, including the community aspect of it. And there's quite a bit I'm not fond of, shall we say. Oh, that seems to be the common thing across a lot of the conversations I've had on the podcast and externally as well. No go on FUD, check. Yeah, it's a nice segue um, into the next question. You're taking a different angle now with regard to MJ, MJM growth. Yeah. You're not particularly the security practitioner, but you are the growth machine for organizations right now. What, in your opinion and in your experience, sitting on that side of the fence, what are some of the cardinal rules you think vendors, marketers, sales, or what's above, below, in between are breaking these days with regards to the direct security audience? Okay, so you mentioned MJM Growth. That's my startup. And uh, I have a couple of business partners, really amazing guys, that are sales and marketing and product management experts. And I don't claim to be any of those things. But the fact is that I realized that one of the bigger problems as well with security and compliance is that these companies don't know how to sell. They don't know how to market themselves. They don't know how to sell. And it's really funny. I'm going to talk to you about this, is that when you go to sell something to somebody, they have to go, oh, that's pretty, that's shiny, but I'm not spending money on it until I care, okay? If your users, your audience, your prospects don't understand what you're getting them, the benefits to them, they're not going to care. And all too often I see product companies and services companies and systems and whatever selling, look how shiny it is. It's a silver bullet. It's going to solve all your problems. And I just want to go, no, tell me the problem. Tell me what it will do for me. Tell me why I bloody care. And that is the question that too many companies don't ask. And by the way, I include sales companies and marketing companies. And if your users, if your audience is not the first piece in your, in your being and who you are, why are you building stuff? Why are they ignoring that in your opinion? Well, because they want to build the shiny. I have a problem. Therefore, other people have the same problem. Okay, maybe it's five people. Maybe it's 50 people, maybe it's 500 people, maybe it's 5,000 or 50,000 or 500,000. When you have five people that have the same problem, give it to them. It's cool. You build some goodwill. When you have 50 to 100 people to 500 to 5,000, all right, maybe you can sell it or sell it as a service and get yourself a nice lifestyle business. When you have 50,000 or 500,000, now you build a product and you have a real business that you can grow and expand. Yeah. But they fail to understand the needs of the people around them, the needs of the potential users or prospects or audience. And that's, a, that's something that's almost universal. I know it in the security and compliance world. I don't know it in other realms. But I have to imagine it's just as bad. I don't know. Is it? You're the marketer. Your background is in tech marketing and tech sales and tech, the yeah. tech world. Yeah. But is the problem of not keeping the audience first and foremost in your heart and mind the same in other verticals and other industries and other areas? Or is it really primarily the tech world that has this big flipping issue of not caring about the audience? I think it's the tech world. And to your point, we like shiny things. We think that leading with that is what's going to get us business. And it's not, especially now yeah. these days that CISOs are not coming up from keyboard yeah. warriors and technologists. They're coming mm -hmm. across from management programs and down mm -hmm. from C-level. The CISOs of today are very wide ranging in interest and in thoughts, 
but they're not normally going to run Nmap or Nessus or, or Scan or, or dig down through Linux or whatever. They might. There's some that are fantastic and have that wide range of interests, but they're business focused. And if they're not business focused, they're not a CISO. Yep. And so the shiny and the scary doesn't sell anymore. Have a nice day. Back in the day, tech sales was smile and dial, cold calling. Okay. And it still happens, but it's got to be better. Like the caliber of cold callers is so far up the scale from where it used to be. It's not even funny. Yes. And so it you've got these. Go ahead, please. I, no, I I 100% agree. It has to change given the climate right now, given that we're in a digital first world and given that security technology is always changing. And that's a kicker as well. Um, I was talking with uh, a chief strategy officer a few years ago, actually, at this point, and she was just, uh, I'm under still NDA from that, so I can't name her, but she was amazing. And she said that there's going to be a bloodbath in the next few years. And she's right. It's starting to happen. Because every year she was saying that there's 1,800 to 2,200 new security companies, new product companies coming out, okay? And a lot of them are me too. They're copycats of the, the, you get this new category that Gartner puts out because somebody paid them. And so it's the first company that, because they paid to be put in that category, but Gartner has to put somebody to, you know, put against them in the magic quadrant. Somebody's got to go in the lower left. So they will find 15 other companies or whatever. And a lot of those are copycat companies. Okay, that's fine. Or legitimately, they're companies that are doing it a different way, second, second mover advantage of various things. But you've got so many companies doing similar things. There, there just can't be that many. Yes, there's a lot of business out there. You can have 20 different vulnerability scanners. You can have five different varieties of Nmap. I don't know. Sorry, Fyodor, but whatever. But there's, there, there's a lot of consolidation. And right now, look what happened to Mandian. Look what's going on with so many different companies are getting snapped up by the big fish. And it's interesting that when we have sales going on, uh, you've got to get yourself above the crowd. You've got to get your tactics better to stand out. And these companies are, some of them are just not. Enough of them that we're seeing CISOs be like, no, don't call me. Mm -hmm. Okay. My, one of my partners, uh, Mike McPherson is insane at training cold callers. He's look, if you don't catch them in three or four seconds, they're done. Okay. And so he trains them. We do mock calls, like ridiculous amounts of mock calls. Okay. So that he can train the cold callers to, to I help him. I act as the CEO or the, the, the person they're calling type of thing. Cause I can do the technical jargon. It's actually fun. I get to be a total jack wagon. They're like, hello, what do you want? And they've got to break through that, man. It's awesomely fun. It really is. It's very cathartic. Like I get to be like, what? <laughs> Talking about getting out stress, but it's tough. But there's yeah. so many companies that don't train their people, that don't do it, that don't think about these things, that just don't do a, a good job. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'll shut up. Next. Thoughts no, do not shut up. Not at all. This is not the point of us being on this session together. You should not shut up. But I do want to dig in a little bit deeper on the why we don't pay attention to customers and what we got to do in order to gain attention and pay attention to customers. So last we spoke, we, we noodled on going back to old ways and building trust. And that's a common theme throughout this podcast is honesty, trust, transparency, really key pillars to accessing security buyers these days. Take me through that. So you, you talked about Robin Sage. Take me through the story of what that looks like. You had a clear example last time we spoke, and I want to share that. 
with the audience today. So I'll tell you the story of Robin Sage, and it's a friend of mine named Tom Ryan. He's an absolute lunatic. Another salesman, by the way. He went from straight security to sales because he's like, make more money there. I'm like, yeah, totally makes sense. But Tom did something interesting. He created a Facebook profile using a picture of a, a porn actress. So it was a little showy, shall we say. And he started friending people and, or she started friending people. And so she starts friending people and she's friending all these military people. And as, if you go on Facebook, you're like, I've seen this person. I must know them from somewhere. No, Facebook has shown them to you as someone you might know 40 times. By the time you see them on the 40th time, it's imprinted in your head. Oh, I must know this person. So you're like, oh yeah, sure. Add friend. And he did that over and over and over again. And eventually he got to the point that he was seeing, he was talking, chatting with these people. Oh, how are you doing? What's going on? I'm in Orlando. Where are you? Oh, I'm in Tikrit. And we're moving out to go to blah, blah, blah city tomorrow. He had generals friended on Facebook. He had privates friended on Facebook. And he was able to pull movement orders and able to pull just so much information. You got to remember, this is prior to, do you remember when, was it Fitbit that had the global map of where Fitbits are? And they're like, why are there Fitbits in the middle of the desert over here? Oh, there's a secret American military base there. Oh, that's probably why there's Fitbits there. They're out running every morning, that kind of thing. And so he, this was before that. So he showed how social media is very dangerous for classified information. He showed, and the relevance here is that you can build trust. He built trust in these military men and women, and they trusted him or her, as the case was. And the trust was abused because it was not actually that person, even if it was still a porn actress who's not actually military. So just saying, but I've got another friend, Kevin Johnson, who is the CEO of Secure Ideas, brilliant guy, smart as hell and funny as hell. He has, I think, 5,000 Facebook profiles. He does fishes that are unbelievable. Like one of the ones that I love that he told me about was when somebody goes, oh, that's a phishing email. You shouldn't respond to those. And they do a reply also. He gets it back as well. So he does a reply all as well and goes, you're absolutely right. Great catch. Here's some resources about phishing that you should read. Of course, every one of those links is downloads malware. So it's not real malware. It's the, the defanged malware. So that it just goes a bang, we got you type of thing. But you've clicked yeah. the link at that point, he wins. Next, so it's hilarious stuff. But going back, everything we do in, in red teaming and social engineering and in, in these kinds of interactions is to try to build false trust. We try to build trust when there shouldn't be trust. Okay. But when we're trying to build trust internally to our organization or to our client, if we're a consultant or whatever, we're trying to build trust that should be there. We're trying to say, you can trust me. You can trust us, my organization, my company, my group, whatever, because what you have here is an organization that has your back. Mm -hmm. We will protect you as best we are able. I don't guarantee squat, let's be clear, okay? But as best we are able, we're going to protect you. We're going to make good choices with you. We're going to present every option we can think of to you with the concomitant risk and reward and cost and benefit and all those different things. And we're going to show you what can be done properly. Now, to do that, we have to imbue all of those attributes of trust. We have to be honest. We have to not lie. We have to not spin, not scare, not be nasty, not be rude. We have to, bam, here's all the cards. You're the one making the decision, but I'm giving you the benefit of my knowledge, my experience, my gut, and my 
all the different options that you have and all the different choices that you can make, here they are, but you're the one making them. I'm not going to hold a choice back. You're the one making the choice. You have to trust that I am presenting you with the full range of options. And when we yeah. do that as a consultant, even as a vendor, as an employee, a consultant, or even a vendor, we gain that trusted advisor status, which is a everybody's trusted advisor, but it's a real thing. Even as a vendor, I've been told, hey, look, uh, you're not in the running for this, but can you give me some advice? Yeah, sure. I don't mind because they know I'm not going to bother lying to them. It's not worth my time to lie to them. My reputation's on the line. Okay. If I don't, if I don't have time or if I can't, or if it's inappropriate, I'll say, no, I can't. I'm sorry. And I'll explain why. If I can, why not? It's no big deal. Of course, I'll give you some advice. If I can provide value, why wouldn't I? The only thing it's going to do is provide me more value in the long run because I get a better friend, I get a better client, I get a better informed client. And you know what? Eventually it'll get me more business and it may not, but it should get me more business. What's the problem there? So many companies are only in it for the short sale right now, yeah. right now. You know, you talk about the long game. How yeah. do you propose marketers and salespeople handle that or take it up towards their boss, you know, and mentioning, hey, this is the long play. This is what I got to do. And they're just, you're there getting pushback because they have to double revenue in nine months. months. And the sales oh, cycle God, is it's... only nine to 18 months if it's an enterprise yeah, product. Right? It's crazy. And the problem there is that you're absolutely right. And plus marketing has a double whammy. Every marketer I've ever met that's a good marketer, the one question they hate is, prove to me what the value of what you're doing. Because that means that the code word there, that's coded language. What that means is show me the sales that you can directly attribute to the work that you have done. And marketers just mm -hmm. grit their teeth and go, I can't really do that. Okay. Because what I'm doing is I'm getting that brand recognition, that name recognition, that knowledge of the product and the company into the marketplace. Remember what I said about Facebook? When you see that same face 40 times, it imprints in your skull and you're like, oh, I know that person. That's what marketing is. Facebook just marketed that person to you. 40 times you saw that name, you heard, you saw that face, you heard that voice. Now I know it. Now it's part of who I'm, part of me. Okay. That's what marketing is because all marketing wants to do is whisper that name in your ear 40 times. Cisco, Talos, the place that you go to get information or whatever. I'm making fun of them, but you get the idea. That's, that's all they want. They want that name in your ear 40 times. You, you see it on the banner at the conference. You yeah. see it on the, in the magazine. You hear it five times from loudspeakers. And by the time you get to the end of the conference floor, you're like, oh, Cisco, Talos, it's where I get information. And you've never talked to them before. But now you know them. So directly attribute a sale, that's hard to. Yeah. So it's really difficult. And I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know and are probably gritting your teeth on on a regular basis. But that idea of the long game, marketing is all about building knowledge and trust. Sales is about capitalizing on that knowledge and trust. Technology is about building the pieces that marketing and sales can use as the foundational elements of what they build knowledge and trust with and capitalize on that knowledge and trust with. And it's tough. If they all work together, it goes really well. And I think I told you my favorite saying that uh, a good friend of mine, Dan Woolley, told me when I was back at Mach 37 in Herndon, Virginia, it was there are sales-led organizations, there are marketing-led organizations, and there's engineering-led organizations. And a sales-led organization never prospers because they sell what's six months down the road. They never sell the current version they've got. An engineering-led organization never, pro never succeeds because they're always, oh, let me finish this one little widget, this one little knob, this one little thing, and then we can start selling. 
okay? The only one that profits is a marketing-led organization because a marketing-led organization goes, hey, customers, prospects, what do you want? Oh, you want mm -hmm. this? Okay, engineering, build that, sales, sell that. And guess what? They do. And while they're doing that, you, do you know what you just did by talking to your prospects and customers? You gave them knowledge and trust. Knowledge of the company and the product and trust. Hey, we're going to build what you want. Yeah. Oh my God. And it's... So if I sound like a convert to, to proper sales and proper marketing and doing it as a relationship, not as a, as a hammer them really quickly, it's because I am. That's a loaded topic right there. That relationship is something that, that is a huge pain point for a lot of organizations. And I know that would be a good topic to, to discuss definitely on another session. You are a conference pro. Right. I'm a conference organizer. I don't think I'm a pro because I don't think anybody's paid me for it yet, but uh, I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Again, we talked a lot about a lot of great stuff last week, and I want to unravel that here. You talked about the fact that there are two different types of cultures at security conferences. What are those two cultures? There's uh, more than two, but there's the basics at InfoSec conferences are hackers and suits. And at hacker conferences, there's people in funny hats with stickers all over their laptops and they're wearing half cosplay and electroluminescent wire threaded through their clothing and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. there's probably a Nintendo power glove, somebody somewhere there just because it's cool. Somebody else is wearing a VR headset there. If there isn't a pair of steampunk goggles on somebody's hat, <laughs> it's just not a hacker conference. Okay. Let's be clear. And then there's suits and suit conferences and it's, oh, how are you today? Sorry. It's not really that bad. But, and I've presented at both, I've run both, I've been part of both, and they're both useful. Don't get me wrong. Hacker conference is where I go to learn what's going to scare me this year. And I go to see my friends and pretty much my family. And I, I enjoy the hell out of myself at the hacker conferences because it's just so wonderfully, it's a subculture and it's a wonderful, welcoming subculture. Besides Delaware, the conference that I run personally, uh, I'm one of the primary organizers, organizers of, and besides DC are two conferences that have huge events for children. So children are incredibly welcomed at these conferences, at these two specifically. And we have Spawn Camp and Crypt Kids at the various, at the D Delaware and DC. We have, you know, kids crypto challenges and escape rooms. And they have Destruction Alley where they actually, we hand them a number two Phillips screwdriver and a safety glasses and go, everybody brings their old dead computers. We're like, go to town kids. And they take them apart. And we see everything from five-year-olds just beating on it with a screwdriver. <laughs> to kids with severe autism spectrum, dis autism spectrum disorder, ASD and ADHD. And I, one kid, I love this story. I tell it all the time. He, we actually had a caretaker there with him who was like, look, if he gets a problem, I will grab him and back away, stay away. Okay. We sat him down in front of a computer with a Phillips screwdriver and safety glasses. He's like, wait, I, can I? Yes. He, have you ever heard of something called Noling? K-N-O-L-I-N-G. It's where you lay out everything in a very specific, like beautiful pattern. Mm -hmm. And he did that to three different computers wow. and he was so happy and so proud of himself. He disassembled it down to the platters and the hard drive. Wow. Okay. And he was so, it was, and he was so precise. And when we, he was done, we took pictures. He was so happy and it was beautiful. And this is amazingly important to children because they don't get to take apart technology anymore. It's mostly sealed mm -hmm. and non-user serviceable. So yeah. we get to show them when I was a kid. 
we had models and kits and stuff and that kind of thing. And now, is there a Heath kit radio? I don't think they exist anymore. You've got a, you can buy our, it started again. You can buy Arduinos and build little kits with them and baby banana makey makeys, which you actually can make a banana into a keyboard. It's funny as heck. And snap circuits. We have 30 snap circuit sets for Delaware, for B-Sides Delaware, because the kids go crazy with the snap. They literally, clothing snaps are electrically conductive. They're metal. So when you snap a fan, a battery, and a switch in a triangle, you, you flip the switch on and the fan turns on. It teaches you electronic circuitry or electrical circuitry. And so they, and they snap together like clothing snaps, like the snap on your jeans. So it's really cool. And, but we give the kids this opportunity to do this. And it's, to me, that's like, we hold Delaware at a college. It's, it's a dry conference. Afterwards, go mm -hmm. to town. I don't care, but <laughs> like the kids are safe and we have such a good time. And that's why I love that. At the suit conferences, I go to find out what my clients are going to buy. I go to make business connections. I still have a good time. Don't get me wrong. Dinner's a lot more expensive at the suit cons, let's be clear. Uh, but the hacker conferences are where I have people. I, I, I bring my daughter to them. My daughter has DerbyCon badges and, def, uh, and, and all these badges from different conferences, ShmooCon, DerbyCon, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. when I, th there are conferences I, we go to, we're pleased this year we're planning to go back to, that I will literally have people go, I'm taking your daughter. And I'm like, okay, cool, because they're on the list. We have a list. We have a list of people who are allowed to take our daughter from us. Okay. That's horrifying. <laughs> That's wonderful. These are basically godparents, if you think about it. The, the, actually, the last year B-Sides Delaware was in person, Jan, my wife and myself got, mis we missed our own conference for a day because we were so sick. We were puking our guts out. Oh, no. But there was somebody holding Lily. I didn't even have to think about it. I knew Lily was taken care of. You know, I think that's, that's I think that's beautiful and critical given today's world and technology or digital realms at the fingertips of children. Understanding risk for children, understanding how to manage or noodle with actual technology, not just yeah. remain in the digital realm as well. That's beautiful. That's what I'd love to bring Kai over. Oh my God, you'd have so much fun. It is so cool. We have, I could talk for hours about the kids' aspects of these conferences. We have children's rooms. The Wireless Village guys go crazy with the kids. They actually give them little radio transmitters and radio receivers mm -hmm. and detectors. And so you have one kid, they basically play radio tag. One kid has the fox and everybody else is hounds looking for the kid with the fox. And they'll just be wandering by. You don't know which one it is until the radio detector goes, and you're like, oh, it's that person 20 feet that way. So they do a kid's That's version. Awesome. The kids go crazy with it. It's so much fun. We have Shabbat Khan where we have a group of observant Jews and they get to speak and they take a hotel room for Saturday and they do a little mini conference there. And we have, and we had whole families at the conference and some of the wives and husbands who are non-technical are like, are we going to be bored? And it, they had a great time. And of every religion, by the way, that wasn't just Shabbat Khan, but we have so much fun. I'm sorry. This that's is... awesome. No, that's awesome. Again, don't hold back. And if anyone's interested, and I'm even interested how we can expand some of that here in, in Israel. I don't know if we have anything for kids, maybe besides Tel Aviv. You but, have besides um, Tel Aviv. I don't know if they have a kid's version, but happily we've been writing yeah. up our spawn camp. I'll, you can have the write-up. I'll send over all of our information and resource lists. We'd be happy to help you set it up. We, we give everything that's away. That's cool. Not a problem. Anything that's you cool. want, you got. That's cool. Awesome. I appreciate that. Let's shift back, though, to the conference cultures and etiquette. 
Is there conference oh. etiquette to engaging audiences at different types of, of yes. cultures? Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is, oh, okay. So this is something that's fun. A few years ago, the InfoSec industry as a whole did something that I'm incredibly proud of. No more booth babes. Okay. And they're pretty much eradicated from the industry. Thank God. It's rude. It's demeaning. It's frankly, it's just wrong. Okay. If you want to engage my brain. Okay. If you want to really make something interesting, put a demo up. Let's show me the demo. Show me, tell me why it's interesting. Prove to me the benefit, really do marketing by showing me something that I need that will solve a problem that I have. Okay. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. A nice pair of socks is swag or something useful. Awesome. Don't get, I love the stuff. That's fine. Swag is always cool. Good swag. Crap swag is, please don't bother. Come on. We get enough of that stuff in the bags. But funny stickers, funny magnets. I have magnets on my fridge from a company that I think went out, went out of business six years ago. Okay. That was good swag. Unfortunately, bad business model, but yeah, you get the idea. And then there's some things that are interesting as well. MITRE, which is a big part of our industry, put up at Beside ZC. They had a Minecraft server running off of a small single board computer and they had the computers there. So people were playing Minecraft and they were loving it. You know what? Everything in that MITRE Minecraft world had been custom modded to say MITRE on it. Great. Nothing wrong with that. That's a great way of marketing. Okay. Be ingenious. Be inventive. You want to have your one pager? That's fine because I need it because I need to take it with me. I get it. But give me some great information about why you're solving my problem. And we're getting better at this. That I love. That I love so much. Because it used to be that there were booth babes going, hi, do you want IDS? Do you know what IDS is? No. It's like, I, I, I talk to me. Yeah. And they're not, they're, they're getting less afraid to bring the actual technologists to the conferences. Mm-hmm. And I think that's wonderful. I'm really yeah. happy about that because that's what's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the etiquette is if you want to be successful, have somebody speak at the conference about your talk, about your, not your product, but the problem that you were solving. Mm-hmm. Have a booth where you have what the problem is and how you're solving it and explain mm-hmm. why you're better. Okay. Or interesting, or you're working on it and ask for feedback and have a demo. And that's cool. That's the best. Okay. Yeah. You want to have the biggest booth? Okay. Go to town. Yeah. But show me a demo. Now you're talking. Yeah. I think what resonated with me, I just spoke with Joseph Carson and he had mentioned, yeah, he doesn't take swag anymore. If anything, he's, what's going to stand out for him is, hey, what are you going to teach me that I didn't know yesterday? Or if anything, if there's swag, I'm more likely to take a book. Is there a cool book that I didn't read yet and you're offering for me? I'm going to, I'm going to stand in the queue for that. And that's what he straight out of his mouth. Jupiter One just sent me a a copy of the Sunil Yu's book about the cyber defense matrix. I'm reading that. Hell, my wife stole my physical copy. She took it to work at Vanguard. I had to go get the ebook. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I think that's a good, that's a good tactic for sure. I'd love to experiment with that myself. I know I appreciate it when people send me like Amazon books that they recommend, not just a gift card, but hey, I don't want anything from you, but I thought you'd find this interesting and I want to help you out. Bill Pollack does that. No Starch Press. He does, he works with companies that they'll be like, hey, can we get a 20% coupon or something for any book at No Starch? And he sells them the coupons and they hand them out. And you know what? People line up for that because the No Starch Press books are really good. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. That kind of thing is great. 
Give yeah. me knowledge. Give me information. Give me something useful. Now, don't get me wrong. I respect his tactic of the stance of no swag, but I love a good eyeglass cleaner. Okay, let's be honest. So, I'm okay. Yeah, I don't think it's out the door. I just think it needs no, to no. be meaningful. And if anything, if you're going to go with those little tchotchkes, then I'd even ask before you go, what kind of tchotchkes do y'all like? Something usable, not useless. There are oh, enough mugs yeah, and, totally. and cans out there. Um, I have more cups. Admittedly, I have a color-changing cup right here. I probably have 30 plastic cups that I'm trying to recycle, and my wife keeps going, send to Goodwill. Oh, fine, whatever. So, yeah, it's a good... The industry's getting better. It's definitely getting more yeah. audience-focused, more user-focused, more, more focused mm -hmm. on the people that are going to use your products, but it's got a long way to go. Yeah, I think there are improvements, and hopefully... Hopefully what we're doing here is going to help other marketers be a little bit more meaningful, hit the nail on the head, more contextual, moral and ethical. That's my hope. This has been helpful for Thank sure. You. We're kind of wrapping up on, on time here, but I do want to ask, is there one key takeaway you're passionate about and want to impart on the audience today before we sign off? I will tell you that the biggest thing for me is and you got to remember that I'm now working with a lot of startups. And I have been for several years, okay? As well as established companies mm -hmm. and advising them. If you're not sure what you're selling and to who, if you're not sure of the problem that you're solving and how severe that problem is, you're not ready. It's that simple. Yeah. All right, Josh, where can everybody find you? Where's the go-to? MGMgrowth.com is my company. And you can find me at Quadling on Twitter. That's Q-U-A-D-L-I-N-G. It's pretty straightforward, Quadling, just like it sounds. You can find me at uh, B-Sides Delaware if you want to come in November. Hopefully this year in person for the first time in a few years, as we all know. I'm, I'm around. I'm not hard to find, honestly. So look me up. I'm pretty easy. Awesome. Josh, thanks again for the time today. And until next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Take care now. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.